back up to the cloud from there. Oh, okay, here we are. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of, episode <laughs> of Chasing Easy. And today I have someone with us. Her name is Jessie. Pronounce it's Hunter, but what's the middle? Yes. Uh, Phil, Jesse Hunter, Phil Howard. That's my married Thank name. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so she's Jesse to us, folks. Um, for those of you that are listening, I just want to put out a little disclaimer that we are talking about domestic violence and some of the information that is discovered with Jesse and what she shares might be hard to hear. So if this isn't something that you think is going to be for you, then please don't listen and also, as another disclaimer, if you are someone who is experiencing domestic abuse right now in any form, please go to a safe place to listen to this podcast so that no one is eavesdropping and it might get you into harm's way. Yeah. So this is a serious topic. And again, coming off of April, which is Domestic Awareness Month or Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I really thought it was fitting for Jesse to help us to understand why it is that women are stuck in a position where they're being abused. And I say stuck because I have not personally experienced it. And so a question that always comes up to my mind, Jesse, is why does somebody stay in that situation? But before you answer that, tell us how your relationship first started, what drew you to, and we don't need to name him, but what drew you to him? Um, and then were there any warning signs prior to getting married? Oh, okay. So yeah, when I first met him, he was very charming and he's funny and just like very quick witted and somebody that, yeah, just was very interesting. He was like, oh my gosh, like you're very dynamic. You're very excitable. You, you know, like there's a kindness about you that I absolutely love, man. I wish I was like that. Believe that one there because put a pin in it. Um, so it was kind of interesting. He came into my parents' store. It was a salvage store and he used to say, well, yeah, this is where I found you out of salvage store. Of course you're broken. So that was never, it was funny at the time. It kind of seemed like a ha ha. Okay. <laughs> so that's kind of where it started. Um, my parents really did not like him. We had a store that was right next door to the police barracks and they would tell my parents all the time, he's bad news. You need to get your daughter away. But the more they pushed, the more I wanted, I wanted him. Um, it okay. Really so hold on. I, I want you to talk about that dynamic just for a second. Okay. Yep. So your parents really just tried to warn you. Other people tried to warn you. And what you just said, I think, is incredibly insightful that because other people were warning you and push, trying to push you away, you were drawn even more to him. Does, is that accurate? Absolutely. Yep. And I look back now and I kind of think it was almost a level of defiance in me. Um, against my dad. So here I was, I was fresh out of college. I had just moved back home, um, for, well, back up here to Maryland from Alabama. And I had no intention of ever staying in this area. Alabama is my home. It was where I was raised, where I went back to college. So um, my dad was had a grocery store. My sister was opening salons, was like, hey, could you come home for just one summer and just help me get the second one open? I was like, absolutely. Well, that's the summer I met my ex-husband. So mm -hmm. I ended up marrying him and staying forever. So here it is, you know, 20, <laughs> 20 some odd years later, 
and I'm still in Maryland. But he had already been that was a short before. summer. That was a very <laughs> short summer. It keeps going on and on. <laughs> um, now he had been married once before. Again, I I grew up in a Christian household where we did not believe in divorce. Um, it marriage is something you stick to, and I watched that with my mom and dad. Um, my dad is a uh, he's a difficult person. Um, I watched in what him, way it. I'm not sure that I ever actually watched physical violence with my parents. I know I've heard a lot of things and my son would say the same thing that he heard a lot that was scary, but never actually saw anything. Um, but it was the verbal abuse. It was mm. the verbal and emotional abuse and the emotional control and the constant manipulation and belittling, I would almost say, that made me walking into my marriage with my ex-husband almost felt like normal. So with my dad- okay. Yep. It, it that, that's another, I want to, I want to park you yes. right there again for a second, yes. because that's really powerful what you just said. And on the heels of that, because our listeners need to recognize that abuse isn't just the black eye that you see. <clears throat> and along those lines, I want to read something. So my head's going to be tilted at my other screen, yep. but this is domestic violence, and this is an assumption of the different forms of violence, domestic violence, it says, it can assume multiple forms, including physical, verbal, emotional, economic, religious, reproductive, or sexual abuse. It can range from subtle, coercive forms to marital rape and other violent physical abuse, such as choking, beating, female genital mutilation, and acid throwing that may result in disfigurement or death, and includes the use of technology to harass, control, monitor, stalk, or hack. Domestic murder includes stoning, bride burning, honor killing, dowry death, which sometimes involves non-cohabitating family members. Mm -hmm. Does that expand your definition of domestic violence or what? I know it did me. <laughs> you know, it's actually funny. The first time I learned what domestic violence was, I was, um, I knew I wasn't in a safe place. And I went to a lawyer's office to find out about divorce. And mm. she, handed, she had somebody meet me there with a booklet that said, it shouldn't hurt to go home. I never opened that book. I was so devastated by the title. I put it in my trunk. I actually hid it. I hid it down underneath my spare tire, didn't pick it up again for months. It wasn't Were you in denial, Jesse? Oh, absolutely. I had no idea. And that's not true. I guess I didn't want to say that I'm a victim of domestic violence because one, that doesn't happen to people like me. You know, I, I'm well- People like you. Yeah, exactly. What do you mean by that? So I, I'm well-educated. I'm well-spoken. I have spent a good bit of my life lobbying in front of um, the House and the Senate, you know, I'm, I'm a business owner, you name it, you put me in a, in, in the little good girl box and that was me. So that, that doesn't happen to people like me, right? That only happens to bad people. So or what you just said there, you, you is a stereotype, right? Yeah, and, and I think that we all kind of have that lens that we look through that says, this is the type of person that deals with domestic violence, experiences it, and stays. And yet you're telling us that you're the opposite of what most of us will stereotype a domestic violence experiencer, for lack of a better word. Yes, right. I have the image of cops, you know, that TV show, Cops, 
where they're dragging somebody, you know, kicking and screaming out the door. And she's like, don't, no, don't take him. He didn't mean to beat me. You know, that's what I had in my head. That's not what my life was like. So in the beginning of my relationship with him, um, with my ex-husband, it was very much a mind game almost like convincing me how one, how great he was, how fantastic and what a martyr. Again, this is something that, that is extremely common in men that become abusers or that are abusers and you find out. Um, yeah. So they start with that martyrdom. <laughs> what I didn't know is that when men that are narcissistic start a relationship, quite often they already are in a relationship with somebody that they know is ending, but they need a next, a next, next one in line. So that being said, my ex-husband was what I thought was divorced. Um, and going through, you know, a difficult custody situation with his ex-wife. And here I was innocently stuck in the middle. What he was doing was transitioning out of their marriage and into one with me. So here he was throwing himself on the cross of, I'm just going to, it's just so horrible. She's ruining my son's life. I'm just going to go ahead and sign away parental rights to him. And, and then, you know, then he can have a good life. I'll just leave it alone. I, you know, I'm never going to be able to be the one that the court will give give him to. So I'm just going to walk away. So is that that martyrdom that you're talking about? Absolutely. And allowed me the opportunity because again, he knew who I was. He knows how much I value my family. To me, family is everything. We are an inseparable unit, even though, you know, like I say, my dad's a difficult person, but you know, we have always been intertwined. Our properties link. We have been in business together my entire adult life. Our finances are intertwined. There's no secrets amongst us. We are all tied together. So family is something that is, it's all in. Like, it's not just a little bit. It's not part-time. It is all you've got. So that's the way I was raised. So for me to hear a man say he was going to walk away from his son, I thought if I could love him enough, if I could show him what a real family was like, what real love looks like, what it could mean to be a good father, to have a good household, to he, w- he would change, you know, like his, so I, we got married on a random Wednesday in November. So was that, out. were you trying to rescue him and rescue his son? Because the thing that you said there was maybe yeah. I can love him enough. Yep. So that actually becomes a eye opening thing as I was exiting my marriage was, <laughs> you know, love doesn't fix everything. My love fixes nothing. I can't fix him. I can't change him. He belongs to God. He is God's to fix. So I have. Why couldn't you fix him? Don't we often go into marriage and we think that, oh yeah, that's kind of an annoying habit, but I can, I can change him. I can change him. How often do we do that? Right? Yes. It's like, we look at somebody and say, oh, but I can make you better, (laughs) but that's not what marriage does. All marriage does is um, almost amplify who you guys are separate and together. So that amplification well said. in my current marriage, oh, we amplify each other to a level that I think is incredible. We are stronger together. I think we, our marriage is a powerhouse for God when we're together. And most of our ministry stems out of something that we do together. And I, and I love that because that's my story of redemption from my past life. Sure. That's kind of what I sure. call it, my separation between <laughs> my first marriage and that, that devastation and my new life was that beauty out of ashes, what God gives you when your life burns to the ground and you've got nothing. Amen. So So those of you that are listening in the audience, I want you to just hold tight because 
She she sped forward to let you know that there is Sorry. redemption. It's okay. <laughs> that there is hope that it doesn't end here. But it, it's important to really acknowledge, recognize, and be aware if you are in a situation that sounds all too familiar of what Jesse's describing. Yeah. Please reach out to your local resources and, and get some help. Um, but I, I want to jump back for a second. I had asked you about warning signs and you kind of yeah, get so were there warning signs? And if there were, yeah. why did you not pay attention to the warning signs? It started with yelling when he was angry at anything and throwing stuff. And, and, you know, just violent outbursts of anger, not necessarily at me, but in, in my general vicinity and not things that I was responsible for. So one, anytime that a man can't hold his language, like in, in any sort of kind words, um, the F-bomb was usually dropped quite regularly in front of me and at me, um, that I, I cannot fathom, like my current husband ever saying those things to me, there's never... <laughs> A mean word that comes out of his mouth, but I didn't, again, I didn't know that to me being belittled and demeaned and having a physical presence that felt intimidating, but you were never actually hurt. That's what I did not know is part of domestic violence. That's how it started. So but you said it, it was, it felt normal to you because it was kind of what your circumstances were growing up. Yes, and you, you know, also mentioned that you were raised in a Christian home. So yes. This is eye-opening, right? There, there are pastors' wives who are abused, and they're, they're just now coming out. So I just really want people to understand that we have to drop the stereotype that we think a certain oh. type of person fits this scenario because it is not true. And you are living proof of it. Yes. So, I'm sorry. So go ahead with, with the warning signs. This was after you were married. Uh, yeah, well, some of it was a little bit in dating, the throwing cell phones, the breaking things that at one point he was over at my apartment and had thrown and broken stuff to where he was like, oh my gosh, we need to leave here like right now because the police are going to come. I know the neighbors heard. Why, why wasn't that an alarm bell in my head saying, oh my God, we need to run here. I am thinking, oh my gosh, okay, uh, we've got to get safety because somehow I got roped into this is we're going to get in trouble. And I don't like to be in trouble. Not him. We. Yes. Yep. You owned what he was doing. You took part ownership of what he was doing. Oh, I absolutely did. And okay. for the remainder of our marriage, I absolutely did. So hmm. when we got married, it became, again, that constant battle of if I didn't do something that was exactly in line with what he wanted or I wasn't, there was always freaking out. Something was always my fault, whatever it was, whether it was a meal I cooked, it wasn't right. I mean, quite, there was once a flying pizza through my house because it was cooked too hard and said it was like a Frisbee. So I got thrown from the kitchen to the living room and I was like, <laughs> stupefied oh that this is happening in my life. But the outbursts were, well, it's, a, and now I know it as this is kind of that cycle of love. you you're built up into something that's so horrible. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to go to where they love bomb you. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is exactly, okay, this is really the man I married. Oh, there he is. I knew he was in there. And, and then you work so hard to stay in that state. You'll do anything to keep him there. So you don't ever cycle back to the dangerous piece. But it, that cycle never, <clears throat> ever stops, ever. And so what are you, you used a really interesting term there, one that I'm not familiar with. You said love bomb. So what you're talking about is the cycle and that's how they draw you back in. Yep. And it does, did he ever use gaslighting? 
Oh my goodness. Yes. And, and, so, and I guess we should define what that is, right? Gaslighting is when he makes you feel like it is your fault for whatever it is that's happening. Would that be accurate? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So again, like, I mean, it's, it's silly things, you know? So one night he, so he was a car painter. Um, he, if there was something that could be done to a vehicle, he did it and did it beautifully. And to, I, I considered it, he was an artist in a way with something I had never, a format I had never really admired his art. And so we were at his garage late one night, and this is the first time I experienced physical violence. What I did not know is I had gotten to the point where I was ready to be done. <laughs> we weren't, I bet you, we weren't even married a full year. And um, I, I was ready to go. And he could feel that distance starting to come. And he could feel the pull of my family pulling me back. Mm. And so that's when it became violent. He was losing control of me. So the violence started. So he, um, so we were at the garage one evening and I was standing, he's in painting a vehicle. I'm sitting out in the garage and all of his friends are there. I, I'm chatty <laughs> by nature, um, a friendly, happy, go lucky. And so they were there. I'm talking and laughing just because that's what you do <laughs> as a human when other people are around. He right. came out and freaked out saying that I was flirting with these people. He picked me up by my neck and threw me up against a wall. And it broke my collarbone. So then immediately everybody around him scattered. Apparently everybody else knew his, the level of violence he was capable of. So wait a minute. So there were witnesses to this violence and nobody came to your rescue? (laughs) No. And that will become um, the story of, I think all, almost all domestic violence. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. and, and, And it's from start to finish all the way through my divorce. Nobody. Not, nobody rescued me. Nobody came to my aid, no matter what I said, no matter what proof I had, no matter what was happening. I was the only one that was responsible for getting me out. And it came from knowledge. This exactly what you and I are doing. Hearing somebody else's story, I would mm-hmm. think, oh my God, I would, I'm, oh my gosh, I'm physically, I, I'm not just physically abused a couple times, the beginning, middle and end. I mean, there were only a few very strategically placed violent outlooks in my life. That was it. The rest of my marriage with him was absolutely devastating, emotional and verbal abuse. Mm. And that was it. And that I will tell you is, I, I used to say it all the time is I would have rather him beat me every day of the week and twice on Sunday than have to live with the things that he has said to me in my head, that if I'm not careful, that tape will always start back up and start replaying because sure. the things he said were so devastating to my soul about who I am and about now I know that what God says, who I am and, and what I'm worth. I didn't know that. Sure. I didn't, I never took the time to get to know that I had any value because again, at the home base, I didn't, I, I was always not enough. I graduated okay. second of, in my class and my dad's response was why not first? I was wow. awfully proud when I graduated Second, that, that's a huge accomplishment out of a big universe. Yes. And I, I, I thought it was something I should take pride in, but no, the conversation was, why weren't you first? Why didn't you do more? You should have been more. So that's my whole life is what I strove towards. So with my ex-husband, I felt very safe because this sounds really terrible now looking back, but he felt 
less as if something I could fix and that would make everything better. Okay. It gave me value because I was something that he should prize. Like, oh, look, I've got this. Like, yay, it's good. Mm-hmm. And now life would be better because we're together. And that, yeah. that was not true. All he really did, he would constantly tell me, my gosh, I steal who you are. I steal who you are. I take that from you. I, I didn't mm-hmm. understand. Now I do. I absolutely do. He used to steal the kindness that was in me, that optimism, the hopefulness. I worked hard at keeping it. I worked hard at keeping moments of happiness, like creating them almost, especially once we had uh, my son, I would try to keep his son and my son together. We use the word brothers. We never use, you know, half siblings or anything along those terms. I wanted it to always feel whole. So I did a great job at creating moments for our kids where look it looks perfect it feels great it's lovely so what what advice and then we'll get to the 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 good stuff but I mean I have so many questions I could sit here and I could talk to you for hours um I'm not going to do that to our audience so we might have to have (laughs) you come back another time but for right now two things what is it that you felt about yourself when all of this was going on? That's the first part. The second is, what was your response when he did, when he threw you up against the wall and you broke your collarbone? So two parts. Yep. So actually I'm going to, we'll tie in kind of all of the physical moments kind of in one, um, because that's almost how I look at it because they bookend my marriage. Okay. Um, because really, again, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't a constant thing. There was a physical presence that was scary that tore up things, but that wasn't, that wasn't actual physical violence in my head towards me. Okay. Okay. So you accepted that. Yes. So what, okay. So go back to your first question. Repeat that for me. (laughs) So what was it that you were feeling as you were going through those moments where he was being verbally abusive or emotionally abusive? And what does it say about you? Because when we accept words that are not affirming or enriching, it really speaks more about who we think we are than what the other person is saying and treating us because no one does anything to us without our permission. Yeah. And so they are very good. And when I say they, I'm going to tie narcissistic abusers into this because now I've walked with so many women out of these kind of marriages and into the realization, well, one quite often walking them through the realization that yes, this really is an abusive marriage because you don't know. They get you so convinced. They tear down who you are, all of your value. They will steal it little by little until all of a sudden you don't realize that you don't know that you're not valuable anymore. They may, then they make you feel crazy for being like, wait a minute, this is nuts. This is not what life is supposed to be. It's part of the right before the love bombing, they will convince you you're nuts because what do you mean? Of course you're out flirting with somebody, or of course you're out doing whatever it is that sets them sideways. Mm -hmm. I didn't walk on eggshells enough to be good for him not to be angry. So I, somewhere Mm -hmm. in there, it gets confusing. You lose touch with reality and they separate you out from everyone. So he separated me from all friends and family. I didn't have relationships with anyone that hold was- Hold on, hold on. How far into your relationship was it that he was finally able to separate you from friends and family? Oh, very quickly. Very, very quickly. Ah, okay. Because he told me very quickly on how bad my family was and look what they, 
he would call me. So I'm a worker. I love to work. I work hard and I take great pride in the fact I work hard. So he would call me a very bad word of my family. Um, I won't, I won't even allude to it because I think it's so disgusting. Um, but basically a, a slave to my family will go there is what he said that I had, I had that little worth to them that I should need to stop associating with them. That's how they valued me. So that's how he started to take my value. He told me other people saw no value in me. Ironically, and did you start believing it? Oh, absolutely. Yep. There was a point in my relation to my sister is my best friend. We, we own businesses together. Her husband has been in my life since I've been seven. I know how much these people love me. And he had me convinced within months that they were going to cheat me out of all my money, my ownership and stuff, um, that they were going to... They just had no value in me, saw nothing of worth, and that he's the only one that could see me and what I was valuable enough to to be seen as. So he took it from me and gave it back, if that makes sense. He convinced me everybody was horrible. I couldn't have relationships with friends and family. Well, with friends, we'll go there because they have nothing to offer. What do you need from them that I can't give you? That sounds silly from this side now, from understanding what real life sounds like, but they really do create a world that is theirs that they control. Your reality is only what they tell you. And again, I'm not, I'm a smart cookie. You think and, and see, but they, when, when you're, when you're in a relationship like that mm-hmm. and you're in love and you, you really, what you said in the beginning is that you felt like it was normal because it's what you had witnessed growing up. Yeah. You really you didn't know nothing is good or bad except yeah. by comparison. Yeah. So you had nothing to compare that to outside of what you witnessed growing up. But right. what's interesting is it doesn't matter what pedigree you are, where you have come from. None of that matters because if you have low self-esteem and a lot of times we don't even recognize that we have that, we start to believe this person that we have now fallen in love with And they are telling us in the beginning how wonderful we are. And then when that changes, we start to believe what they're saying. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And we hold to that. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's normal, but it's all comes down to control, being able to control us. And like you said, you know, narcissists do that. And then he had you convinced that you were crazy. And now you say, He gives your family or your friends back to you. So isn't that interesting? Yeah. So actually the the fact that I had lost my value from other people and I thought it was only him that valued me. The thing that actually started to set me free, the very, very tippy toe beginning of me opening my eyes to what was happening. Um, At this point, I probably, my son was probably seven or eight years old and he was coming home every day talking about God, school was so bad. Oh, mom, it was horrible. Oh my gosh, really? What happened? I, I don't know. Like he had no actual, no idea of what really bad was. He was just knew that that's what we say. It was a really awful day. It was terrible. Then he was starting to join in on making fun of me with his dad. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm raising somebody else's husband. He's going to end up doing this to somebody else one day. It's not just me. And I'm going to end up with another six foot something man I've got two of them. I might have two at some point, both living in my home and controlling and dictating me because they can. 
And then we were standing in the bedroom. My ex-husband had thrown a vase, a very large vase across my room, put a huge hole in my wall. And I was like, what in the world? Like, what is going on? He goes, Jesse, you don't understand who you are. You are, pro- you are just one of the worst people. Nobody likes you. Why don't you understand that? Nobody likes you because you are so unlikable. And I stopped and I actually stood there for a minute and I went, okay, but see, the thing is, is that my clients like me, you know, like my, my family likes me. Like lots of people think I'm lovable. Like people find my company enjoyable. And yet you're the only one who thinks I'm not. I don't think I'm the problem. I think it's you. Did you say that to him in that moment? Yep. And, and that what happened? Moment. So that moment came and went. And then, he, uh, like I said, I knew I knew the end was coming. Um, I hadn't yet found out. He had an 18 year old um, Russian girlfriend who was pregnant. It was coming to the surface, and he, that here in the next couple of days, he told me that that was that was what was going on. And I was like, okay. In my head, I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus, I have an out, and it's not my fault. Somehow, this is not my fault. I get out, and I'm going to be free, and I'm going to be okay. That's not the way that went down. So the very first time my world started to fall apart was nights after that. Um, He told me what I'm sorry. How long at this point were you married? I got my protective order on my 11th anniversary. So we were probably in the beginning of year 10. Okay. So it started off with a broken collarbone somewhere in the middle of my marriage, not at me, but he ran a car through a building um to run someone over so he ended up again not not the life I ever thought I'd never met anybody that had been in to jail before turns out I was married to one so I, I was shocked because again this is not the value I thought my life was going to have or the path I thought it was going to take mm-hmm. um so that was in the middle it had gotten so bad I was like if you don't see this as a call to find Jesus, I don't know what's ever going to wake you up. And I need you to fix this or I'm gone. Like the night before I had decided to leave him. I had talked to my whole family. I let them know that's what was going to happen. I got home that night. Uh, he and my son were sleeping in our bed. This is in the middle of our marriage. Um, they were sleeping together in our bed. And I remember sitting at the foot of my bed thinking, oh my gosh, Lord, I'm getting ready to change this. For the rest of my son's life, I'm getting ready to change his, the dynamic of what family is for him forever. I was like, God, I've talked to everybody, but you. So what do I do? And I just sat there and I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm going to get through today and we'll be all right. Well, that morning about eight o'clock, I get a phone call that he had run his car through a building, trying to hit somebody. He's under arrest. He's at a hospital. It's knocked his front teeth out and everything kind of began to fall apart there. Um, the culmination of the first five years of our marriage was had, that was it. That was the highlight of it was, oh my gosh, it's not just me. He's a hateful person too. It's everyone. Everyone is scared of him. He wasn't able to hold down jobs for a long time. Once people got to know him, they had to let him go (laughs) because they're like, oh my God, this guy's dangerous. He's bad. He's mean. He's a horrible human. Couldn't hold on to friends unless they were really young and gullible. Um, so that that's the kind of like men and people that he surrounded himself with. They kept it. We kept getting older. They stayed the same age. They're the only people that you can pull the the wool over their eyes is when they were young and too naive to realize that 
the things he talked about, how great and big he was, were just, it was just talk. Younger people are impressionable. Yes, exactly. And that's, and that's where I was when I first met him. I'm, sure. I was very naive. So anyways, that was the middle. And for two full years, he pulled himself together and was exactly the person I needed him to be. Two years. That's how long he was willing to hold on to me. Because again, there was a monetary value to me as well for him. Uh, Explain that. Okay. So um, by my, by 26, my home was paid off. Um, Again, I come from a family that has someone that has money. That sounds very self-centered. Uh, I guess no. I feel bad when I say that out loud, but for him, he had grown up in, in a family with no money. And so for him, so you were his ticket. Yes. I was his high. Yeah. I was, I, again, I gave him value. I thought it was love mm-hmm. that I was giving him, but to him, I came with my, with dollar signs attached saying that he could have a life. He could do all the things he wanted. And I didn't need his money because I was independent enough to say, okay, well, that's okay. Go do what you want with it. You know, your money, go ahead, go have fun. Cause I wanted him to enjoy life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. again, naive. Um, I set myself up in that one, but so in the middle, so for two years, he held himself together. He was the husband I wanted. He was the dad I needed him to be. And then again, he could only hold it together for that period of time. And it started to unravel to the end. And was so there a certain trigger that made him start to unravel? Because for, for a narcissist to hold it together for two years, that's huge. Huge. Very, very huge. big. I don't <clears throat> think I realized that it was unraveling a little bit at a time. I just okay. wasn't always witness to it. Um, bigger signs came up later <laughs> as he was starting to spend money I knew he didn't have. My bank, our bank account, because I shared all of our money together. Um, our bank account was very quickly drawing to a zero. Um, and I was like, I don't understand. Like where I was starting to sell my stuff to, to pay for groceries. <laughs> um, I sold my, sounds silly again. I sold kayaks to pay for marriage counseling because I wanted to save my marriage. I believed my God is a God of promises and I'm a promise keeper. So I'm going to stay married. What I didn't know at the time was God values my life way more than he values that marriage. He does not want you to stay in a marriage that does not reflect his loving kindness and what he wants, you know, as Christ loves the church, a husband should love his wife. I didn't understand that. I just thought. So there, there's two things I need to say about that, because I know that when, when you come into a marriage, into a relationship, we're supposed to be equally yoked. And equally yoked means that we both are drawing from the same strength from Christ. We're we're in it together, right? Most people don't know that. And they are blinded by the emotions that they have that overwhelm that sense of true identity in Christ and in Christ's church and the marriage. Mm -hmm. With the statute that God hates divorce, which is what I hear all the time. Yep. They don't back that up with the Lord also wants you to live at peace. Yes. So there, there are scriptures that will elude to, he doesn't want you in a horrible relationship in an abusive relationship. If you're in that and you are a Christian woman and you think that you have to stay there because you're a Christian woman, I'm here to tell you right now, you need to find the scriptures that tell you absolutely positively. You do not. And Jesse, I'm glad that you brought that up because no one 
no one is told to live in that type of environment. No one. No, not not at all. And once you learn exactly what God has to say about who you are and what you're worth, that's when you will start seeing he doesn't want you in a place that is dangerous to your life. Your life has a purpose and a mission and you dying early because of of something that isn't that isn't what God wants for you. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely stayed under the, because that's all I'd ever heard. I'd never actually read all of the things around that Bible verse saying, God hates divorce. You know, you shouldn't get divorced, but I, I'd never read. He also thinks a good, you know, good woman's work more valuable than rubies. Yes. See? Why didn't I gather that? Why didn't I hear that a good wife is these things? And this is also what a good husband is. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I had, I had taken that information and yeah, re- used it really wrong. <laughs> And as as most of us do, because it's what we continue to hear. So we don't hear about the proverbial wife, what our role is. And we don't hear about the submissive, I'm going to use that word, husband and his role. He's to lay down his life for us. And you gentlemen can find that in Ephesians 5. So ladies, look up the proverbial wife, Proverbs 31, men, it's in Ephesians 5. This is how we are supposed to live in unity with each other in a marriage. Period. My husband, my, my now husband, my very lovely, wonderful husband says this. So quite often men will say, I would do anything to protect my wife. I would fight for her. I would, you know, I would harm somebody. If somebody is physically coming for their wife, they would do anything to protect her. What is he doing behind closed doors? Is he still protecting your heart? Is he still using words that lift you up, that build you up? Is he doing things that add value to you and not stealing it? That's what it is. All hateful words, all bad words, all things that are actually God designed for war to be used outward towards something that you're fighting against. Those kind of strong, strength, hmm, tough words, rough words, negative words were all used as war words. Everything positive and everything good and all of those things that are life-giving words or what you use in your home. So that's what you should be only spoken in your home. Things that give, give life, give breath to you that make you say, yes, okay, good. You know what? Life's really, really hard right now, but you know what? It's okay because I've got somebody standing beside me that says we're in this together and breathes life into me. When I can't see my value, my husband now will pull me up under his arm And he's like, let's just pray. And I used to get so mad at him when he did this when we first got married. I mean, literally we'd get angry because I'm like, whatever. Mm." And he would pull me up and he's like, no. And he would pray over me and talk to God about who I am and what my value is. God, this is a good woman. I know exactly how you made Jesse. I can see her loving kindness in you. She's a good mom. Whatever, whatever I needed to know in those moments, he would say before God in prayer, so one, I know that he and God are in agreement, but he's not going to go before God and lie. I knew that because I know my husband's heart, but he did that for me. And once it started setting in, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's praying these words over me because it's truth. And he needed me to hear his truth. I couldn't hear it when he said it, but when he would say it before God and I together, then mm-hmm. I knew it was true. I knew it was true and I was Okay. So that's really like a, a 180 from what you came out of. Yeah. And, and, and I know we probably have about another 10 minutes. Okay. Um, I'm, so I'm what, what I, what I'd I'm really sorry. like to do 
is Mm -hmm. you had mentioned something early on about facial reconstruction. I want to talk about that if it has to do with something that your ex did to you. And then I want you to quickly jump to how did you heal? Because I want our audience to hear that whatever your situation (laughs) is and wherever you're finding your value now and your worth now, there is someone who is your creator who is still here loving and caring and cherishes you. And then one other comment, and then I'll let you tell us, but one other comment is, and this is what my husband always says. If you are not enriched by the relationships that you're in, you need to not be in those relationships. It's a very simple test. If someone is not enriching your life that you're hanging out with, you need to find somebody else that does. And then on the other part of that is you need to be that same type of person for the people that you're in their lives of. So just think that enrichment and enriching other people's lives, people enriching your life. Those are the relationships that you want to be in. All right, Jesse, yeah. I'm sorry. All right. So the, so, okay. so the, end, okay. mm-hmm. um, the first time the physical violence really got scary um, was again, a few nights after I had told him that, <laughs> Um, right. Whatever. Anyway, so he actually got so angry in the middle of the night, about 4am, he liked to drag me out of bed and holler and scream at me. So I started sleeping with my son thinking that was going to keep me safe Mm -hmm. until one morning he said something and I just, I wasn't responding anymore. He was getting no emotional reaction out of me, anger, happiness, nothing. I just, okay. Numb. Yep. I just stopped because he wanted, he was eliciting something out of me, whether he can control my happiness or my anger, either which way he was controlling my emotions. And when I participated, he was winning and that's what fed him. So if I stopped, then he couldn't be Mm. fed. So it was a risk. It it was. And I didn't quite realize how risky until I woke up, he was screaming and hollering and he was ended up jumping on top of me. And for anybody that is in a relationship, this may be a, a trigger. So um, he woke up, I woke up to him strangling me and literally choking the life out of me. And I'm laying next to my son. My son's literally laying under one of my arms. And I'm thinking he's going to wake up next to me tomorrow morning and I'm going to be dead. God, please, just in this moment, God, please just save my life for Donovan. Just at least, or let me go to the kitchen. Let me die in the kitchen, but not in bed next to him. But this is when I learned my dependence on God. It, a lot of times it started to become not just day by day or even, you know, it became more than hour by hour. It was a lot of times minute by minute. It was second by second. I, I had to depend on God to get me to the next moment. Sure. So here in these moments, so that, that when it all came and said and was done, um, he was like, oh my gosh, didn't know what he had done. He got up and left left the house. I texted a girlfriend 4.30 in the morning. I'm like, oh my gosh, my ex-husband just tried to kill me. He just tried to kill me. I have handprints around my neck, bruises. You could see full fingerprints and thumbprints on both sides of my neck. And I say that, you know, I wore them like a necklace. I had no choice. They were there for the whole world to see. I have short hair, Um, but there was nowhere to hide it. And it was September 11th. My girlfriend was like, oh my gosh, Jess, you, know, you, you need to get to safety. And that was it. I had just told her the most horrific thing that had ever happened to me. And her response is, oh my gosh, you, you know, you, you, nothing. I needed somebody to freak out with me and be like, 
holy cow. Come pick you up and get you out of there. Yes, but there was no sharp response. And holy bananas, Jesse, you're going to die. Nobody said that. Nobody was in shock and awe that I needed them to have. As I would slowly tell people between the September 11th and the beginning of November when it happens again, I, I was telling people things about what my life honestly and truly looked like, and nobody responded. There was no shock and awe or what? That's not what life looks like. I had no idea. And because nobody else was in shock and awe, I stayed. I stayed, I stayed, and I stayed. But you wanted validation that yes, what you were dealing with. Did you go to the police or, or report at this point, any of this? No. Okay. No. So I, I had gotten a marriage counselor and I, I called him at one point and I was like, like, Joe, I'm in trouble. I think, you know, and I'm telling him what's going on in my life. And he's like, Jesse, I can't counsel you anymore because I think you're being abused. I'm going to have to go to the police. And I said, Joe, please, whatever you do, don't, I will die. And it was done. And I had to walk away from a relationship with a counselor that was actually going to actually breathe life back into me at some point, um, mm -hmm. save me because I was afraid of dying. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I could say out loud is that I walked away from somebody that could save me because I didn't want to die. I, so I think it's rational. Yeah. It becomes a point with an abuser. So he was then, I'm going to kill your, I'm going to kill your dad. I'm going to kill your sister's husband. That way you have to live with the fact that I've taken, you know, your sister's spouse and your, and your niece's dad away from them. And you'll have to live with that forever. And your dad won't be here and your mom will have to live alone. And that will be on you. And you'll have to live with it forever. If you don't conform, if you don't do whatever, if I don't behave so it became a, it was safer to stay to protect everybody else. Because I honestly, I knew his violence. I knew what it was like. He's pulled knives on me at this point. He has strangled me. And, and I don't say choke because choking is not a strong enough word. Somebody strangles you. And that's the word we use when they actually kill you. They have strangled somebody to death. That is his intention. When a man puts his hands around your neck, actually, if, I think it's like 80 some odd percent of people don't make it out on the other side of that. Even if you get out of your marriage, if you have been strangled, you are likely to be stalked and murdered more so at any other point. So once it gets to that point, you need to run for your safety. You need to find a domestic violence center, get actual help, people that are educated in how to get you out safely because you need to have a plan. It's not easy to get out. Most women leave up to 10 times before they actually can get out. So that's a lot of time for you not to be safe. You are too valuable to not be here in this world. That is not, you're worth more than that. You are worthy to be loved. You are worthy to be breathing. You are worthy not to be harmed. If I can just say that more than anything, anything, you are valuable to somebody and that somebody is not the person that would harm you. You oh, can't, that's good. they are not yours to fix. You have to walk away and save you. Yes. The second time it really happened that I was strangled to the point. I mean, he had punched me in the face so hard because he said something about, well, what are you going to do? Run home to your daddy. And I said, <laughs> I was tired of being abused between September and November. I was tired. And I was like, you know what? Yes, I am. Because you know what? That's what a real man does does is a real man protects his family at all costs. So then I'm sitting on our sofa and he comes up and he's, and he's standing over top of me and just hitting his fist into his hand. Yeah. Is that what you think of me? I'm like, yep. See this, this right here, what you are doing to me, 
this is what I'm talking about. This is the abuse that I'm talking about. The next thing you know, he is, he is sitting on top of me. My arms are pinned under me. Like he's kneeling over top of my body on the sofa and strangling me. And I, I lose consciousness for, I'm not sure exactly how long I come back to breathing and he, I'm able to get one arm up and he punches me. He punches me so hard. Um, blood covers my living room wall. My, all of my clothes are sopping wet in blood. Gosh. Now freaks out, takes all of my, he takes away all of my clothes, takes them from me, gives me a towel. He strips me naked, takes everything, puts it away, starts cleaning up, puts me in the bathroom, comes out. And he's like, Jesse, whatever, you know, I'm like, okay, I, I am seriously injured. I need you to call somebody. He's like, I, I can't, we can't, we can't call him. I'm like, I don't care. Call your mom. Somebody's got to come help me. Like I'm seriously injured. He came back with Capri Suns to put on my face, to stop the swelling, to stop the bruising. I never mentioned at this point, he had taught me how to get rid of bruises on my body very quickly, like how to massage them a certain way to get the, the blood to break down. So I wouldn't have evidence on me that could be seen by other people that might, they might think that I was being abused. But so that night he took everything I had, took all of my clothes, gave me Capri Suns and laid with me until the morning. And so that's when it was really over. I did go to my car and get out that booklet that said it shouldn't hurt to go home. And I learned what, what domestic violence really was. All the horrible things that he told me that my, about my body, the intimate, most personal pieces of me that nobody else sees but my husband. And he's made fun of them to the point I think I'm disgusting and I'm, I was made wrong and I'm gross and nobody would ever want me because that's what my husband has said about my body. My goodness. Those things, that is considered sexual abuse when he he was angry and we would get into a fight and I, well, I said we would fight when he would holler and scream. And then when it was time to make up for things, he would call it a hate F word. That's what it was. That's, that was the makeup. What people would call makeup sex. You shouldn't. None of that should ever be, there should not be such a thing as makeup sex. That's, it's just not a thing. Love does not do that. So that's what I, it took me until actually about four years ago, I've been safe for nine. Took me to about four years ago, did I realize that I was sexually abused inside my own marriage? Um, You know, I learned all of the things that actual domestic violence was, and I ended up getting free. Mm. So in all of that, there's hope on the other side of all of it. No, I filed charges. Yes. The police, I had all of my, I had a written statement. I had all of his text proving what he had said, what he had done. I had pictures. I had medical records. Um, I had all the times that I had shown up at a hospital for help. And I ended up having to go home because he would find me. Um, after our marriage, he continued to stalk me for an entire year. So well, that's terrifying. It really was. It got to the point where my son and I never left our house. He, I was never, a, he never left the house. We never separated. So by the time I got divorced, he was nine. Um, we were stalked until he was at 10 and his dad went to prison. He was sentenced to 10 years for what he did to me. At one point he did run us, my son and I off the road at seven 30 in the morning on the way to school. And was off the road, jumped up and down on my car, screaming, hollering, just what do you do with that? All morning traffic is driving by and nobody stops. The police didn't come for hours. I, I went home and then they came to me and said, well, you, you should go file charges for yourself. Oh you my gosh. Me. Yeah. So I mean, oh my gosh. No, it ended up somebody, a lawyer 
was kind enough to stand up for me. And even though it wasn't her job to uh, prosecute him and I wasn't, you know, it, sitting in the other seat, it was the state versus my ex-husband. She fought for me until he was actually given a sentence that was worthy to be given for what happened. Yeah. Most men walk away. So all the times that he went for um, breaking the protective order, all of Nothing. those was, don't do it again. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. I went 10 times. Don't do it again. And every time I'd stand up and make a victim, a victim statement saying, this is a piece of paper. It does nothing to protect my son and I from him. I'm in danger. Help me, please. And I would get the statistics of having been strangled and then being stalked and what my percentages of dying are. But until he actually did something, they wouldn't do anything. Yeah. So he was sentenced to 10 years. He was out in um, 16 months. Oh so gosh. yeah, it was very scary for a long time. The thing I learned was, you, you are your own best advocate. Yes. Nobody is going to fight for you more than you will. And you're worthy to be fought for. You have to realize you have that worth. You have to go. You have to keep going. My dad said it was, they're like dogs. Every time they pee on the carpet, you need to rub their nose in it. So don't give up. They don't. You have to continue to do it until you have taught them a lesson to stop because you won't. You are yeah. more determined than they are. You are determined to be safe, to be healthy, to be okay. And your child, should you have one, deserves that. And they yes. need to see you fight for it. So they know they have that worth. Yeah. It wasn't until, yeah. So anyways. Jesse, I, I mean, I, I really, I think we're going to have to have you back. Yes. I would love to. to. Give us the, the, the rest of the story. So yeah. let this be part one. And, and I don't want to end on, on a vision of the last thing that you shared that wasn't enriching. Right. So I know that you're married now. You're happily married to an incredibly God-fearing man. So yeah. what I would love for you to do is just to give us a snippet for part two, which will be next month in June. Give us a snippet of what to look forward to and just inject some hope. Because audience, I know that there were some some there were some things that Jesse shared that are heart wrenching. That you think that oh my gosh, how could anybody put up with that? Or you might be the one who's putting up with it. Get the help that you need and list people to come alongside you. Yes, but Jesse, I just I want you to end us on a good note with inject some hope in, into the women that are listening. The greatest thing I can tell you is there's life on the other side of this. This is not who you are. You are not defined by this moment, but it is your story. When you get out to the other side, that's going to give another woman the courage to step out and say, okay, that happened to me too. And I want the life that you're living. How do I get there? And the secret is the love of Jesus Christ. Man, Amen. once I realized I had freedom in Christ to find healing because the world told me to be angry. You should be angry. You should never forgive him. Dude, the secret is if I live the life that God designed for me to live, which is living and walking in forgiveness, did my ex-husband deserve forgiveness? I don't think so. I didn't think so at the time. I do now. I understand now. But I was so mad. I thought, no. And, and he's never going to know I forgave him. He should have to know. He should have to acknowledge this. It's not. That's it's in our mind. That's what we think. Yes. It was freeing for me to find, to forgive him. And then to start finding the pieces of me that while I, he say he used to steal them from me. The fact is 
that's not me anymore. I, I was hurt and things were damaged, but who I am now is so, it, it makes me happy. I am quirky. I am loud and I'm okay with this. I am chipper and lots of people are like, wow, you're, you're a lot. I am a lot. I am exactly <laughs> who God made me to be. And I embrace that. My story is a piece of who I am, but there is a redeeming love of Christ that makes it all worth it. So while something was taken, what has been poured back into me from my marriage, from my friends, from my church family, the continuous things I learn about what God has to say about me by spending time with him in the word. And when I find out exactly what I'm worth from him, man, let me tell you, my life, it overflows, overflows with joy. It is the moments that even when everything is falling apart, that I can stop and look back and say, yes, but do you know what God did? Let me tell you about all the little million things that he is taking care of that now I'm 10 years out almost. And I can tell you all the million little things that he did that I had no idea I needed him to take care of. And he took care of every single detail that has given me the beautiful life that I sit here and want to tell you about today. And I would love to come back and be able to tell you that journey and how I've gotten to yes. this so, so we, we are, Jesse, we're going to have, I mean, you're so passionate. It's really hard not to fall in love with you. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> you're just yeah. so dynamic and, and you're just full of life. I mean, it, it, it's just beautiful to see. You said at the beginning, beauty for ashes. Yes. Absolutely. Positively. He has poured stuff into you, girl. And I don't want to say you're his favorite because I think I am, but <laughs> you might be a close second, right? <laughs> hey, look. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Yours, yeah. mine, whoever's listening. That's how yeah, yeah, mind. yeah. But your mine's in the front and center. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, next time what we'll do is we'll pick up the story from the transitioning oh. out of that marriage, the time that she rediscovered herself, who she is, and whose she is to where she is today and how she's paying it forward. And this is part of her paying it forward, sharing her story on this podcast. So Jesse, I'm going to thank you again for joining us folks. Yeah. You know, please don't listen to this two times. Don't, don't speed it up. Oh. You're going to want to listen to every little bit that Jesse had to oh. share today. God bless you. And thank you. Yes. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay,